The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Thanksgiving. It's a great, great time of year. I love to, the culture reminds us to thank God for all of our many blessings. So I'm excited about that as we continue in our study of Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through uh, verse 4 of chapter 13. Now, just to remember where we were a few weeks ago, we, we paused last week and had a really awesome time focusing on mission and, and interviewing the Lewises, the, the people that we partner with who have gone to Africa. And so that was just a great uh, picture of what we've been seeing in the pages of Scripture with Abram. And I've been using the name Abram and Sarai because that's what their name is at this point in the text. But what we've been seeing is, after a great introduction to the Bible, we've seen that Abram was saved out of the nations, the godless nations pictured by Babylon. That's where Abram was living. God saved him, and then God turned around and sent him right back to those same people. And it's been challenging us that we, too, have this same experience, that we've been walking through the same footsteps with Abram, learning about what it's like to be on mission with God. Because if, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, then he has blessed you with all the blessings of Christ. And now he says, now I want you to take those blessings back out to the same place from which you came. And so we are living a life on mission with God. So does What I hope each one of you is doing each week is starting to view yourself as a missionary. Sometimes we work against that. Sometimes we put missionaries on stage, and they're in Africa, and we think, oh, that's a missionary. What the Bible says is, no, we are all missionaries if we're followers of Christ. That if we have been saved by Christ, we've been sent by him with the gospel that saved us. And so today, as we look at Abram, We're asking ourselves, what does it look like to live on mission with God? So we, uh, Jared and I went to a conference a few weeks ago, an IMB conference, that's a missions conference, and they gave everyone uh, the opportunity to text answers to a response. And our our responses, thousands of people, at least hundreds and hundreds of people, would text a one-word answer to their question, and the more consistent that response was repeated, the bigger that word got on the screen. And I would love to have that technology when I ask you this question. What do you think of when you describe the life on mission with God? If I were to ask you to give a characteristic, the one characteristic that comes to mind, what is it like to live on mission with God? I would be curious to see what comes to mind. We don't have that technology, but we do have the Bible. So we're going to see what the Bible says is characteristic of Abram's mission with God. And I pray that we'll see what it's like to help us understand. Because what we're doing each week and what we do in this church is we're trying to equip you for that calling. We want to help you fulfill that calling of living on mission with God wherever you go. In your home, in your marriages, in your schools, in your parenting, in your neighborhoods, at your workplaces. Wherever you go, God is saying, you represent me Take the gospel blessings to them, and we want to help you do that. Father, would you help us this morning, first of all, continue to see ourselves as missionaries, that we are on mission for God. That's why we are here, and that's why you saved us if we are saved in Christ. And help us now today to see what it's like, to help us know what is it like to live on mission with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Today, we're going to look at five characteristics of living on mission with God. We find the first one in chapter 12, verse 10. The first characteristic of living on mission with God, of all the things that we could say, what's the first one we see? It often is confusing. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now stop there. At this point, as a reader, I'm actually confused because the whole story thus far has been getting Abram from Babylon to this promised land. He got him there and in 12, 1 and 3, verses chapter 12, 1 through 3, God said, this is your land. This land I will give to your descendants. He's going to have them walk the land like the boundaries and say, this is the land I'm going to give you and your descendants. And as soon as he's done making that promise, the next thing the author tells us in verse 10 is, uh, there's a famine in the land, Abram's leaving, Abram's heading to Egypt. And so as a reader, I'm going, okay, is this obedience? Is this acting out of faith or is this acting out of fear? Is Abram doing what God has him to do or is Abram doing what God doesn't want him to do? I'm not sure. It's confusing. I'm not really clear from the text. And I think that's actually very much what it's like when you are living on mission with God. Oftentimes, we present this idea that living on mission with God is crystal clear. We, we highlight all the stories from the Bible of where literally sometimes God writes it on the wall and you're like, God ain't ever written on the wall for me. We hold people up on stage and none of them will ever be an example for you. They will never say, I have no idea if I'm doing God's will. I mean, we just don't put those people on stage. But we know in existence that we don't have a clue most of the time. I mean, most of us are living this journey of going, I am very confused I don't know if this is God's will or not. That's why I am personally very careful when I stand before you and lead the church, you will, if you'll pay attention to my language, I rarely say, God told us to do this, so let's go. Usually I'm saying, we think based on prayer and seeking the scriptures that this is where the Lord's leading us. Let us know what you think as you pray and seek the Lord in scriptures and let's together figure out if we think this is the way the Lord's leading us and then we come to that conclusion, let's do it. That's more of what it's like. Living on mission with God requires discernment. Discernment is the skill of knowing and discerning what God's will is for your life. And we know that is very times, very many times confusing. How do you know God's will for your life? Well, first of all, let me tell you God's will for your life. To live on mission for him. Let me tell you more particular his will for your life. To trust and obey him. Those are the things that are very clear in the scriptures. Trust and obey the Lord each day. Live on mission. Represent him. Bring him glory in how you live. And and that is what God's will is for your life. Now, in more particular, precise directions for your life, it's challenging. But the way you do this is much like you would do with a friend. If you want to discern what a friend is telling you, you don't have as much struggle because you know that friend. Or think about a spouse. My wife and I have been married 25 years. We dated for six years. She can raise an eyebrow, and it speaks a whole paragraph to me. I mean, I'm like, oh, oh. Okay, I got you. My kids say, really? They get tired of it. They're like, we live double lives. 
I mean, can y'all stop? Can y'all just meet together? If you want to ask me questions, wait till dad's in the room because he will ask the exact same questions and he will say the exact same things. And so, so I don't have to repeat everything. Let's just do it at once because y'all live, y'all think the same things. And so when you know someone, you know what they're trying to tell you. So if you're living on mission with God and you want to know where he's leading you, you've got to know him. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to practice walking with him. It takes relational experience, a relational connection, and that's the old answers of read your Bible, to know him, to know his character, to know where he's going, to know what he's up to. That gives you a lot of answers. And then pray, discern, recognize his voice. This is the act of discernment. And to live on mission with God requires discernment because oftentimes it is confusing. Sometimes God leads you through circumstances. Here, Abram had a severe famine in the land. Perhaps that was God's way of nudging him out of the land, go to Egypt, I got something for you, and then I'll bring you back. Sometimes we lose a job. Sometimes we get a great job offer. Sometimes a a child is sick and needs a specialist in in another city. Sometimes a parent, uh, their health is failing, and we've got to move to be closer to them to help them. Sometimes we've got to move them closer to help us. Sometimes we finish one stage of our education, and we have to move to another stage. There's all sorts of ways that God uses circumstances to move us, but in all of those circumstances, what I'm praying that this is happening is we're starting to view it all as the mission field. That God is using all of that in his plan to help us be on mission for him. You notice when we send people off from our church to another church, we like to have them up here and and pray over them and, and we talk about them as missionaries, that God is taking them to another location where he's going to use what we've poured into them And bless others with that. So you are a missionary. Walking on mission. Living on mission with God. Is confusing most of the time. And it requires great humility and discernment. Because he leads us all in different ways. In fact I've mentioned to you before. That when we were called to plant this church. If you knew us. It was not a very easy crystal clear process. It wasn't like oh God said. You're going to plant a church in Norris Ferry. We said hot dog here we go. In fact, that's not how it went at all. I thought that we were going to carry North Carolina. My boss at the time at Broadmoor had a connection with a friend who had planted a church in Cary, North Carolina, and they started talking. He was going to go, the, the pastor of that church plant, the church had gotten to 500. It was booming. It was doing great, but he felt like he was supposed to go back to be a professor at the seminary, and they started talking to me about, would you consider this? And it got far enough along where I said, okay, I'm about to have to talk to Dana about this, and this is going to rock her world. And so I started talking to Dana, and I said, Dana, we need to pray about this. And we need to think about this. And she said, absolutely, wherever God wants, we will go. That's not what she said at all. (laughs) She did not say that. She says, no, I cannot pray about that. And I'm like, why? She goes, I don't want to go. I'm safe. I'm comfortable here. This is my happy place. And, well, the one time I got it right, I said, okay, well, we need to pray about this. 
and I let her be uncomfortable for a while, and she began to seek the Lord for a season, and I called it, she went to the dark side because there was like this cloud over her for about seven or ten days, but she was doing what she was supposed to do. She was praying, 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 praying. And I began to pray, pray, pray. Lord, is this your will? I go on the computer, Cary, North Carolina. USA Today says it's the number one place to live in America. I'm like, it's God's will. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not going to go good. And I never will forget the day. She said, we need to talk. The Lord has spoken to me. And as the Lord had it, as the way the Lord did it, he said, you're going to move south, but it's not going to be quite as far. It's just going to be South Shreveport, and you're going to plant this church called Norris Ferry Community Church. Now, that's not at all what I expected, but the Lord, everything before that moment had closed all those doors, but the Lord had a plan to get us here. It's oftentimes very, very confusing. Don't mistake in thinking that living on mission with God is just this clear, easy path. It's oftentimes confusing. Next, we also see that being on mission with God can be scary. This is uplifting, isn't it? It's confusing and it's scary. Verses 11 through 13, there's a famine in the promised land. Presumably, there's no food. So they have food in Egypt, apparently. So Abram and Sarai head to Egypt. So far, I don't see anything in the text telling me that this was disobedience. So I assume it's God leading Abram and Sarah to Egypt for a season. Let's keep reading verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a beautiful woman. That's always a good thing to say to your wife. I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they're going to kill me. They will let you live. So I have an idea. Tell them you're my sister. And that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Never a good plan to do this to your wife. What do you think about Abram's response? How's Abram doing here if you were to give him a grade? How did he respond when he was afraid of what the Egyptians would do to him. Anyone want to give a letter grade? Good answer. Someone said C in the first service. I said, no, total F-bomb. Never sacrifice your wife thinking that's the will of God. It is not. So they were scared. Now, why did he get an F as he made this decision? What was the reason he made this bad decision to sin, to scheme, to lie, to, to put his wife in a terribly compromising position to save his own skin? Why did he do that? Fear. Fear. And what does that mean about his attitude towards God at that moment? He's not trusting the Lord. And so he's not trusting, and therefore he's not obeying. When we fail to trust God, we begin to fail to obey God. And so he gets afraid, and he makes bad decisions. This is oftentimes what it's like when we're, tr- when we're living on mission with God. We find scary situations. We need to trust the Lord. It's not easy. Now, if Abram had trusted God's promise that was just made to him in Genesis 12, 3, God had just said to him, I will be with you. 
Wherever you go, I'll be with you. And I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. I will fight for you. I've got your back, Abram. You can trust me. So he heads into Egypt and he's like, oh, wait a minute. Forgot those promises. If he had been trusting him, he would have said, Sarah, listen, we're going into Egypt and I'm afraid. They're going to think you're beautiful. And by the way, you are. But they're going to try to take you, and they're going to try to kill me. So let's, let's, let's wait a little bit here, and let's open our word. Let's open the Bible, and let's seek the Lord. Maybe they read through Genesis 1 through 12 that we've just been reading, which is a reminder of who God is, a reminder that he's the creator of his power, of his benevolence toward his people, that he is just lavishing them with good, that he's the all-powerful one, and that if, if we are sure that he's called us into this, he will take care of us. We don't need to lie and scheme and put our wife's life in a compromising situation. Imagine that Hearing the Lewises last week, I just imagined them. Now, they were normal people. We tend to think missionaries in Africa are superhuman. They're not. They were normal nurses. They were friends of ours. We went to church together, and they were nurses. And then eventually hospital administration was where he was heading. Went on a mission trip, fell in love with the people, and ended up leaving his, taking his whole family there. Imagine that first day, 600,000 Africans and one little family non-Africans, walking into the villages and not speaking the language. You have to know God in that moment. But imagine being a high schooler, surrounded by peers, that your world at that moment in high school, middle school, is to fit in. And imagine walking into high school with all those people, and thinking, I've got to tell them about Jesus. You have to know God at that moment. All of us are missionaries. One person in our church shared with me a story of having to trust God and how difficult it was and how this was a client of theirs who represented a very significant portion of their income, and they were with this client, and the client told an inappropriate comment or joke, and, and they kind of went with it or maybe even laughed, and then there came another one, and it kind of went further, and then finally they were off, and then the church member said, man, the Spirit of God just convicted me. And then they were at this moment of crisis. I go back and talk to that client, risking all my business with that client. What do I do? So they went back and they shared with that client, you know, I just want to apologize. And I don't know exactly what was said, but it was basically repentance. I represent Christ. I'm a follower of Christ, and I shouldn't have behaved the way I did. I said, well, how did it go? Did you lose the account? They said, well, they didn't like it. They didn't really want to have anything to talk about that, but I didn't lose the account. But there was no guarantee of that. Very well could lose that account. Walking with God can be very scary. How should we respond? We should respond like David. Listen to Psalm 59, 
a lot of times over a psalm in the scriptures, there'll be a little context given there. It tells you this is what was going on. In this psalm, right above the verse 1, you see a little explanation. It says that Saul, meant, Saul sent his men to watch David's house. And David's life was in danger because they were seeking to kill him. And what does David do? It says David said, prayed this psalm, Deliver me from my enemies, God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. Save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression or sin of mine. O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. He's calling on the name of the Lord in fear. Verse 5, you, Lord God of hosts, you are the God of Israel. I know you. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, you laugh at them. This is the God we see in the creation account. His powerful, sovereign God of the... You laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Oh, you are my strength. I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. When we have scary times, this is how we need to learn to respond. Not with scheming, not with derision, not trying to figure out how to save our own skin, but to say, Let me stop. Let me seek God. Let me trust his word. Let me seek his promises. Let me know and remember again, he is with me. He is for me. He will not abandon me. He is faithful so that I may continue to walk in obedience to what the Lord has called me to do. What has the Lord called you to do again? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. When you are living in fear or living in that on the edge, that exciting walk of mission with God, you've got to trust him. You've got to know him to trust him. You've got to read the Bible to know him. You've got to pray to know him. You've got to walk with him to know him. The more you know him, the more you'll learn to trust him. So living on mission with God can be confusing. It can be scary. And number three, it can be hard. More excitement, isn't it? It can be hard. Verses 14 through 16. So Abraham is schemed. Tell him you're my sister. Sarai agrees. They head into Egypt. Verse 14 says, When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Not good. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now, at this point, if you're thinking to yourself, this actually turned out good, then you're probably a man. (laughs) Because you're putting yourselves in Abram's shoes. You're thinking, good scheme, I didn't get killed, and I just got rich. And Sarah is in Pharaoh's house. Sarah, whom God just said, will bear the seed 
who ultimately will bear the seed, who ultimately will be Jesus. God promised the seed of the woman who will destroy the enemy, who will be our savior, will come to Abram and Sarah, and Sarah is in Pharaoh's house. So this is not good. This is very hard for Sarah. Oftentimes, as we live on mission with God, we are flawless people. We are foolish people. We make bad decisions and we have consequences. And oftentimes, we find ourselves in a place where Sarah is, in between a rock and a hard place, wondering, what happens now? Is God done with me? Can I be used in God's will? Does God still have a plan for my life? Does he still, is he still with me? Can I count on his blessings and his promises? I mean, yeah, I was trusting God when I did well, but now we've made some dumb decisions, and can I trust God now? It's hard because we're flawed and we're foolish, just like Abram and Sarah. In fact, that's the message of the Bible over and over and over. Everyone God is going to use over and over and over. The Bible keeps showing us most of the time they're flawed, foolish people making bad decisions, but God is the hero of the story. And so we find ourselves in these situations wondering, can we still trust God even though I have failed? And I will tell you, yes, you can. But I will also tell you, Don't take him lightly and don't take him for granted because consequences are real of failure to trust and obey. And let me tell you, Sarah is saying they're very real at this moment as she's in the household of Pharaoh. So being on mission with God can be confusing. We don't always know if we're even walking with God or not. It's scary because oftentimes it faces things that cause us to step out of our comfort zone. And it's hard for all kinds of reasons, not to mention the fact that we aren't perfect and we constantly are making sketchy decisions. But finally, in verse 17 through 20, we see it's good. It's very good. It's exceedingly abundantly good. In verse 17 through 20, let's see what happens. How does God respond to Abram's foolish decision that results in his wife in a very precarious, compromising position? Verse 17, the Lord afflicted Abram. Is that what it says? The Lord didn't afflict Abram. The Lord didn't say, I'm afflicting you, Abram, because you are sinning and you're making bad decisions. No, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. What is the Lord doing? The Lord is keeping his promises that he just made in 12, 1 through 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Pharaoh is an enemy of God. He has taken his wife, even though it was kind of unbeknownst to him, God saying, you won't touch her. God is faithful to his children, even though they are foolish and flawed people. Those who are 
bent on seeking to do God's will, though they're not going to do it perfectly, saying, Lord, I'm trying to live on mission with you. I'm trying to figure this out. We're doing the best we can. I know we've messed up, but Lord, are you still faithful? He says, yes, I'm faithful. The fact that Jesus came shows you he's faithful. That's the story of the Bible. God faithfully protecting this promised seed despite his foolish people's foolish decisions. So God is with them. God is protecting them. God is blessing those who bless them. God is cursing those who curse them. The overall theme we're seeing in the large narrative of the Bible is God's blessings that we saw in Genesis 1 through 12 in the garden are going to be restored to those who align themselves with Abram and his seed. And that ultimately is Jesus. So God flings a curse on Pharaoh. Apparently Pharaoh gets the message in verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I would take her for my wife. And can you see Abram just going, "Uh, Because I was a coward? I didn't trust the Lord? Pharaoh says, Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and with all that he had. Unbelievable. Not only did he not die, which he deserved, not only did she not get compromised, which he brought upon them, he gets protected, God preserves his life, God spares his wife, and God blesses him with riches. This is called ridiculous, amazing grace. That's what we should understand. That amazing grace is what fuels the mission. It's a constant reminder of our foolishness, our flaws, and yet God is still incredibly gracious to us daily. And that's why we're on mission. You're telling people about him. Everywhere you go, let me tell you what God did for me in Egypt. I was so dumb. I put my wife in Pharaoh's house. And God is so good. He forgives and he keeps his promises. Why does he do it? Because you're good. No, because he's made the promise to spare us through his seed named Jesus. So living on mission with God is good because God is good. And you're walking with God and he is so good to his people. God, the irony is God saves flawed and foolish people through flawed and foolish people. We as flawed and foolish people take the message of God's grace and God's salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ And we don't show how awesome we are. We show how awesome God is despite our flaws and our foolishness. Maybe you're sitting somewhere today and you are in Pharaoh's house. Or to go to the previous, the Tower of Babel, you are sitting among the ruins. You see the theme that's repeated over and over. Or you're like Jacob the deceiver sitting tending sheep. Years after years after years because of your scheming. Maybe you're in Pharaoh's house and you're going, Lord, how can you call me to be on mission? I'm flawed and foolish. 
And he says, your flaws and your foolishness, though it brings consequences on yourself, and I don't want you doing that, your flaws and your foolishness are gaping holes in the clay pot in which the light is, is held, and the light shines brighter through your flaws. So be on mission. I'm as foolish as they get. Just ask anyone who really knows me. That's not funny. My wife just laughed. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have to look any further than right out of college. I had seven jobs in seven years. Who does that? Someone who's foolish and clueless and has no idea. Everyone around me has a pretty good idea where I should be except for me. And so I'm stumbling and bumbling around trying to figure out what does God want from me? In fact, it's so funny that I don't know if they're here today. I don't want to know. So there was a person who started visiting our church who walked with me through that in business. They were a client of mine as a financial planner. And I called them almost every year for seven years Say, hey, man, I'm changing. Can you move your account and follow me? So that seventh time I call him, I'm like, hey, man. He's like, are you serious? And I'm like, well, and I think there was, may have been a few expletives from him towards me at that moment. And I said, he said, no, what are you going now? I said, I'm going to full-time ministry. He said, one more expletive. He's like, really? I'm probably the first person that ever cussed out someone going into the ministry. And I said, well, thanks for your business all these years. <laughs> Would you like to come to church? <laughs> so... I, I, I don't think I was the strongest, boldest witness uh, to everyone. But through all the foolishness and the flaws, the Lord has brought me to this point, And he's brought you to where you are now. And I think if you were put up here on chairs, that our stories more often would be more like that than like the, the ones that sound so good and clean. So living on mission with God is... is confusing at times it's scary at times it's hard at times it's very good sometimes it feels better than others finally we see living on mission with god is just plain old mysterious it's mysterious you know i think these would be good things to teach our kids you want to know what it's like to walk with god it's not always easy it's confusing, it's scary, it's hard, it's good, and it's mysterious. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 13. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot his nephew, with him, into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, and in silver, and in gold. He's killing, he's loaded, and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel, Wait, that sounds familiar a few verses ago. As far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. You hear what the author's doing? He's like right back where he started at Bethel and I to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. What in the world is going on? He's right back where he started. There's just a beautiful mystery in all of this. Sometimes we feel like, I don't know, I've gotten any progress. I don't know what God's doing. I'm not sure that I'm making any progress at all. But here we see there's a mystery. God has Abram right back where he started. He's, 
He's learned so much from that journey, and he's back at the place of worship, fueled with grace, saying, God, look what you did. Look how faithful you've been. He's learning God. He's knowing God. He's seeing his faithfulness. He's, he's walking. He's practicing. He's on a journey with the living God. And it's a mysterious journey because you and I don't fully understand God. Can we admit that? I don't care how high your ACT, your SAT, or your MCAT score was. You don't fully understand God. We don't understand God. It's mysterious. I don't know if Abram ever should have gone to Egypt or not, but I know that God blessed him despite his sinful decisions and his foolishness while going to Egypt. But somehow, some way, mysteriously, God has Abram back in a place where God wants him, worshiping him, and he's been blessed all as a result of all of that journey. God is on mission to save sinners from their foolish and sinful ways. And the irony or the mystery is that God is accomplishing this mission through sinful and foolish people like Abraham, like me, and like you. And so much of it just doesn't make complete sense yet. He almost got himself killed. He almost got his wife compromised. OMG, Abram put the seed in Pharaoh's house. And yet God brings him back and he's blessed in the midst of it all. What's the point? God is the hero of the story, not Abram. You don't have to be a hero living on mission with God, you need to just let go of that stress. You don't have to be a hero to live on mission for God at Bird High School, at Magnet High School, at whatever high school you go to. You don't have to be a hero. Just trust and obey. You don't have to be a hero to to be on mission for God at your job, at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your wife and with your kids. Just humbly worship and trust and obey Him and recognize His Incredible, amazing grace in your life. Romans 8, 28 tells us this. Maybe you're looking back over your life as a result of today and you're thinking, I don't know. Romans 8, 28, Paul says that we know in all things, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All of it. All of it. But not about that. All of it. Wait, you sure even when I made that dump? Yes, all of it. Wait, you don't know. It all, it it says all. All of it works for God's good, for your good, God's glory. When you are called according to his purpose, when you're walking on mission with God, he uses it for his glory. So your focus should be one thing, on mission for God, trust and obey. Is that three things or one thing? So what am I saying? Somehow, some way, God got Jesus to the cross. Abram was the bearer of the seed. Abram and Sarah. And then story after story, we're going to see their foolishness puts the seed at threat. And yet Peter can say in Acts 2.23, this Jesus, 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Wait, what? Jesus was delivered on the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And all of these crazy twists and turns in Egypt and out and scheming and bad decisions, somehow God in all of this had a definite plan of getting Jesus born in a manger and hung on a cross. It says that, his delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So wicked men hung Jesus and crucified him and are guilty for that, but somehow, mysteriously, God has a plan and a definite plan and foreknowledge for every bit of it. I can't fully explain that. There's a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. And thank God for the mystery over my life and your life. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Woo, that's good stuff. God's doing the same thing for you. You're walking in the sandals of Abram. You are on mission with God if you are a follower of Christ. He has a definite plan with definite foreknowledge of exactly what he's doing and you can trust him in that and so keep living on mission for god father god give us courage boldness faith to trust and obey you help us today as we think about our paths and where we've been to be brought to where we are Help us to view it all in light of this view from the scriptures that you have a definite plan and foreknowledge and that you are bringing the nations to yourself, to salvation through us, even though we are like Abram and Sarah many times making sketchy decisions and not sure if we're on the right path and definitely made some wrong decisions. But somehow in all this, there's this beautiful mystery. You are working it all together for your good, your glory, for your gospel. Help us to live on mission. Help us to see where our mission field is. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be fueled by amazing grace. You're so good. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.